You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here from downtown Batuta. Now, today's guest is one that a lot of people will be tuning in to listen to, so I, I will start the show by um, reminding everyone of our commitment to uh, bipartisan, fair and just media. Scott Morrison has been invited on the Batuta Advocate podcast many times. He won't go near us. Yeah, but I think today's- I'd say we'd have more chance getting uh, Slim Dusty on the show. Mate. Yeah, I know. He, um, but the, you know, the offer is there. Today's guest has agreed to come on. He's the leader of the opposition, so he's um, one of Scott Morrison's enemies. Growing list, Anthony Albanese, member for Grainler. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Great to be in Batuta. It was great to have you here. Uh, as I said before, we've uh, we've interviewed Barilaro, McCormack, bloody Jackie Trad, one of your great friends from up there in uh, in Queensland, and uh, we we try and get as many different people on here as we can. Some just refuse to come on. I think the ABC deals with that same issue as well, with you know politicians refusing. Morrison won't do any tough interviews, and I know this is tough. Yeah, well, it's mm-hmm. going gonna to be tough. We're going to start with a tough question. Let's he go, also Eric. doesn't like travelling. <laughs> Do you hear this week him saying that Toowoomba, you couldn't have a quarantine centre there because it was out in the desert? Mm-hmm. If he thinks Toowoomba's the desert, what does he think of Batuta? I know, I know. It's, it's disrespectful for all of southwest Queensland, actually, that uh, <laughs> maybe he's taken orders. We don't know. But Wellcamp Airport ended up turning out all right, didn't it? Well, that's where they want to build it. Yeah, you know, there's international flights going from Wellcamp. Well, there used to be back in the day, but not anymore. Well, he said that they don't have an airport there. It's mm. actually an airport. Jesus it's Christ. actually an airport. Those bloody He's Wagners, flown in I'll there. tell you what. The, those, those Wagners uh, will be robable. I know. They, they will be. They'll, they'll, they'll probably sue. Yeah, I know. That's it. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe there's See, been better some, be careful what you say. Maybe yeah. there's been some orders sent down from Sky News to brush that bloody quarantine hub. We don't know. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll move on with the interview. And we're going to start by grilling you. We're going to skewer you. This is how it is, Mr. Albanese. You're not Teflon. You have survived three car accidents. We um, we, we do know that. But the first question is, Errol, what, what, what are we going to hit him with? Well, I'd say let's start with uh, probably something quite basic, Albo. What do young people in this country who don't have rich parents have to look forward to? Well, not much under this government. They're buggered. No. They have no chance of getting into a house. They have no chance of getting a... Good job. If they have a job, their wages won't go up. Not much. What they have to look forward to is a Labor government looking after them. And what can the Labor government do? Is the Labor government going to um, ban property investment, ban foreign ownership? I mean, we're talking specifically about the Australian dream of buying your own house, maybe two, three bedders, white picket fence, lawn, dog, you know, driveway for the car. Above ground pool. Above ground pool. Maybe, you know, you make, you make a bit of coin later in life, you get a Ford Raptor. A shed, you know. A shed, a shed to hide in. A gun safe. Yeah, gun safe. Basketball hoop if your kid's that way inclined. Those things uh, aren't really on the table for a lot of people, as Daryl said, unless you've got rich parents. You, the young people of Australia now are looking at kind of their wage slaves who will rent, pay money to uh, a more privileged generation until no, the day they die. it's pretty tough. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty tough. Well, one of the things that uh, we had in our budget reply was support for social housing. If you add to public housing stock, then what you'll do is have an impact on housing supply and it flows through, right through the system. Uh, There's so many people who are are struggling to get a roof over their head 
just to survive. I was, uh, when I was back in Sydney in my electorate, the Exodus Foundation, Bill Cruz, looking after people there, they, they do a thousand meals a day mm-hmm. for people who haven't even got that. Uh, without that, they wouldn't get a feed. Those people need a roof over their head and governments are pulled out of public housing. I go up in public housing and uh, the security that you of having a roof over your head is so important. But for young people today, it's really hard. It's tough. Is there a difference between this term you're using, social housing and public housing that oh, you talk about same, you grew up in? It's the same thing. I grew up in, it was council housing, Sydney City Council housing. Some uh, social housing refers to community housing as well, some more co-ops, but it's basically the same thing. Community housing can be less big brother control, I guess, rather than a big state bureaucracy. You're dealing with the local housing organisation. Notice one of uh, the landmarks, Australian landmarks, is of course the Harbour Bridge. Just next to it uh, was a famous famous old brutalist uh, building, the serious building. That was uh, unanimously, and the media were complicit in this as well, uh, written off as one of the ugliest buildings ever put up in Sydney, right until they kicked the last old nonner out uh, who was living up there. Who was 92 years old yeah. and blind. And blind. And has been put in a place that's not appropriate. At the back for, of Burke. For someone who's blind. Yeah. It was purpose-built housing for people with disabilities. I uh, went to school with a whole lot of people who, who go up around Millers Point and the Rocks and, and Woolloomooloo and it was a good thing. There was a community down there. Mm. Uh, now you go down there and the pubs are, are, are a- all empty. Advertising gurus. They're all empty and uh, there's a change in the culture. I used to uh, play in the playground. There was a council playground down there and it's it's just changed the whole nature of the area. And I used to when I when I was in Sydney and had an overseas visitor, and you drove over the Harbour Bridge or drove around Sydney, I'd point at that building and I'd say, you know, the good thing is that's public housing. That shows the sort of society we are, whereby people who aren't millionaires can have a view of the harbour. And uh, that was a good thing, and and that's gone. And now there's wrap rounds in the Financial Review advertising as front page, lu- yeah. front page, luxury as, apartments as or- luxury apartments. It's it's just a disgrace. Oh, I guess now you can drive past and say that's uh, Twiggy Forest's big bolt hole in Sydney. You know, <laughs> that's you, right. You all, can say things like that. All, yeah, all negatively geared. I yep, mean, yep. it's uh, it's terrible. I I think I spoke at some of the demos down there against the sell-off of of public housing. And the thing is, as well, what used to happen in order to get affordable housing was that the Maritime Services Board had a whole lot of the housing around the rocks and Millers Point, and so that wharfies and people who went to sea all lived there. And they were my mates I grew up with, their parents. That's all gone now, just like council housing where I grew up had people who worked on the council. My grandparents moved in there in 1931 when it was built and my mum lived there her whole life. But you grew up in a community whereby everyone wasn't on welfare and that helped as well, getting that mix. Whereas now if you have those concentrations of poverty away from everyone else in bigger states, it doesn't work. It it has real social 
dislocation problems. I think that's a real misconception of what public housing is, is that it's not just for people who are receiving, you know, a benefit from the government. You know, it's for low-income earners. It's for people who, who have jobs. In Batuta, do you have a mix here? We do have a mix. There's uh, a bit of contention now because there's a chunk of public housing down on the water there at Batuta Grove. And, you know, it's They're all... trying to sell it off? It's always been there, yeah, and the mayor's trying to sell it off. Greed. It's an interesting thing, though, because, you know, you look at um, Melbourne's kept their flats. You know, they're all everywhere, even though Dan Andrews kind of locked them in there and was seeing them expired rice and bickies during that, uh, that second wave. They still get to live there, you know what I mean? They still get to live in the city. Uh, they, they might not be treated with the same egalitarian kind of, uh, you know respect yeah. that you were talking about from your upbringing within the community, but they're still there. You, you mentioned that lady in the top of the Sirius building who ended up at the back of Burke. Where are these families going for the most part? Redfern, all these traditional kind of communities, inner city communities of low income and, and vulnerable people, where, where are they ending up? Because you know the services stay in the city. Yeah, well, they're just being pushed out. And uh, it's a problem that the whole government rhetoric- Are we talking an hour away on the was, train? An hour or more, yep. and when you've grown up in a community, there's one bloke I remember down at Miller's Point, he had a note pushed under his door. He lived in this house for over 80 years. I think he was 82 years old. He was born there. Had a note put under his door saying, basically, you're out. We're flogging your home. And he'd done everything for it. He'd painted it. He'd lived in it. He, he was an old wharfie. And just terrible for him just to treat someone with that lack of respect. And for him, you take someone out of the community, be like taking someone from Batuta and putting them in Marrickville, mm-hmm. the culture shock would be through there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it would be, it'd be rattling if that was how it ended up. Tell us, though, uh, you know, with, with this kind of social cleansing that we see, why hasn't anyone really put their head in? Has something happened to the working class where, they've, where they now lack the organisation that saved Woolloomooloo? Well, I, th- I think modern politics makes it more difficult. And, of course, it was the election of Whitlam that saved Woolloomooloo, saved the Gleaver State, saved Piermont and Aldermo. Uh, without that, it wouldn't have occurred. And uh, without my old mentor, Tom Uren, uh, did that, made an enormous difference. When I was a kid, the first campaign I was involved with, I was about 12, 13 years old, the uh, Tories basically got control of the Sydney City Council and they wanted to flog off all the housing. Oh, local government shouldn't be involved in housing. And we won that fight. We had a rent strike. We went around. I was a kid, went around and collected a petition and uh, had a big campaign around Glebe, around Chippendale and Camperdown where I grew up and all around the inner city. And we changed the government, basically. We changed the city council and people like Robert Tickner and others came onto the council. And uh, the good thing is that we had a six-month rent strike and the new Labor council wrote off all the debts. So all those people who'd scabbed on the strike missed out on getting their <laughs> rent-free homes for six months. So it was, it was doubly good. <laughs> now, we, we rewarded solidarity. Now, one thing I just want to move on to is that, you know, one of the real pathways for young people to succeed in life is through education. And certainly under this government, we've seen a lot of uh, imbalance when it comes to education spending. Like, say, for example, in 
down south in New South Wales, the top four schools in that state have spent as much money on capital projects as the bottom 1,800. You know, where does Labor kind of stand on where the money should be going for schools? Well, we support the principle of need. There's nothing wrong with funding you know, your, your local Catholic school system or schools that need it, but it's public education that takes all comers, that looks after people. And I've got to say, you know, when I look around uh, my electorate, you know, there's a couple of schools that have done incredibly well uh, struggle with, you know, indoor and outdoor swimming pools and the best facilities, while other kids are struggling to get any basic opportunities in life. And uh, you should make sure that you value every every kid from the very beginning, uh, which is why we have a big childcare policy, early childhood education. If you want to value bang for your buck, then zero to five is when more than 90% of brain development occurs. So if you invest in those early years, you'll make a big difference in terms of the success of children when they go into primary school and high school as well. But we need to, to value education more. I'm, I'm, you, know, you look at TAFE's been devastated by this government, $3 billion ripped out. And you look at the university sector, that became so reliant upon international students <laughs> that they're yeah. stuffed now that the international students aren't coming in. I've got uh, my son is at uh, an, an institution at, at, at uni. He hasn't been on the campus for uh, 18 months. What's he studying? Political science? Uh, oh, he's doing all sorts of stuff. And I bet he's still being charged the full whack too. Being charged the full whack and uh, without any of the experience yeah. uh, of going to uni. Yeah. I mean, I look back on... On my uni years as being fantastic, not just in terms of what I learn out of books, mm-hmm. but you learn yeah. a lot about life. You're yeah. mixed with different people. You know, yeah. I hadn't met anyone who played or supported rugby union yeah. before I went to uni. No, I never saw anyone with a nose ring. <laughs> well, that, well, that's right. That's right. Although nose rings weren't big when I was at uni, I've got to say. Yeah. Septum piercings. You, you mentioned before. On the same topic of kind of uh, you know different different ideas of education, zero to five, how much would it cost to implement those years childcare, uh, you know, uh, infancy, into the school system and and run it that way? Well, we our, our system will cost literally six point seven billion dollars to be precise over yep. four years. What that would do is to basically subsidise ninety percent for most people as well as removing any limit, any cap on, on, on childcare subsidy, the, the payments that you can get back. But that's sort of stage one. The second is to move towards that being universal across the board. We want to make sure that that's working and to adjust it in our first term mm-hmm. uh, to have a, re- a review of it. But it does make sense. You, you do get money back. All the research shows that every dollar you put into childcare – early learning, you get $2 back in terms of boost to the yeah. economy, boost to productivity. Mums, dads are women, women can yeah. uh, Largely as women do most of the heavy lifting in that area, they can stay in the workforce. They can be more productive, 
rather than going in or out, makes a big difference to them, to their businesses, to their super, all of that, as well as helping children. So good for the economy, good for families, good for children. It's a no-brainer. Well, it seems like, you know, when the primary carer does go back to work, usually it's only to pay for childcare. Yeah, that's right. Well, in some cases, there's examples whereby it actually costs them to go back, particularly to go back or to work a fourth or a fifth day. So once you you reach that point of where the the cap is and where the the subsidy, it's just not worth it at the moment. And that's a crazy situation uh, whereby they feel as well. I mean, it must feel pretty tough going to work and Mm. knowing that you're working basically for nothing. Most people don't work for nothing. They actually want uh, an income out of it. And that's why it makes no sense, the system that's there at the moment. And the government, when we came out with our policy, of course, they rubbished it. They said, oh, it's nonsense. But they admitted it by the fact that they did some move. They did a move that cost uh, $1.7 billion over four years, but they say it'll add $1.5 billion to the economy. So if you do every year, so if you do a little bit and it helps the economy, guess what? If you do a lot, it'll help the economy a lot. It's uh, not rocket science, so I think they've undermined their own argument. So you think, just kind of moving on to uh, small business, do you think that the federal government's cutting your grass a bit by essentially stealing that policy and your policy to help out small brewers in the fact that, you know, you would have quite a large proportion of small brewers down in Grainler? Oh, we sure do. we're We're up to 16 Small 16. brewers, sixteen, and of course uh, they know. Jeez, the wettest electorate in the land. It's a fun place. Every one of them knows. If they serve you for free, they might get some tax exemptions. <laughs> yeah, but you've well, just got you, you know. They don't even need to do that. Governments just basically. Yeah, well, they come out now and. But they know. They go like, they know, oh, this, this government know. sat around. They're doing the budget. They sat around and gone, right? Out. Where have we buggered things up? Righto, childcare's a mess, we'll do something there. Aged care, we've got an interim report titled Neglect. Half the people in aged care, literally, residents have been shown to be starving. They don't have enough nutrition, according to the report. Literally, they're starving. I better do something about that. Breweries. Albo run this campaign on uh, giving a leg up or removing the disadvantage for small brewers. He'll probably do it. So we better do something about that, Tick. Everyone knows why they did it, you know. So we ran a campaign. I had a petition. We had motions in Parliament, campaigned on it. And it's fantastic. I don't care who does it. The important thing is that that it's done and it's something that we campaign strongly on because there are small brewers not just in my electorate, but, you know, Batuta Bitter, small brewer. There's small brewers in every country town now, and it's a it's a great thing because they employ locals, they use local suppliers, and during uh, during COVID, many of them did very well. Yeah, because people. What are they uh, calling? What are those big bottles called? A growler. A growler. growler. Send yeah. growlers around on the back of a truck. The growler. They here's a little fact for you. They can't make enough growlers right. at the moment in Australia. There's <laughs> a shortage. <laughs> it's a crisis because everyone was going in and getting their growlers refilled at their local craft brewers, 
And isn't that a good thing? The yeah. quality, they have less preservatives and all of that stuff as well. I, I do have a problem with fruit in beer, but that's a whole that's a very con- that's a very controversial issue. Passiona IPA. I've got it. It's just wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. And and if I'm Prime Minister, it will be illegal. Okay, all right. Here's an exclusive on Batuta Advocate. The brewer's got to take the good and the bad with you. We will, we will outlaw fruit yep. in beer. Like you can cry in your brand new Hilux that you got from your tax cuts. So there you go. <laughs> you, you said you look. You you made it clear you're committed to you know helping out small businesses. Can you tell us why then does Morrison and the other mob do so well? Appeal so well. Two small businesses, particularly in electorates where probably a lot of the people are working in small business. What's going on there? Where does Labor miss out there? I think one of the things that Morrison appeals to, or the, the, the Libs have historically, they say they're the party of small business. But the truth is they're not. They're the party of very big business and their mates. Their rhetoric is that, that they're pro-small business. But you look at what they actually do in practice – they do nothing to help small business. Small business struggles. They help big monopolies. They never stand up for the, the little guy or the little person. And it's a matter of us getting that message out there to people that uh, we are very pro-small business. This week I launched a report that we've done of our multicultural task force looking at a migrant in Australia is twice as more likely to start a small business as someone who's born here. And for a whole lot of those communities, they don't have information in their language. They don't know what support from the government's available to them. So we launched this week a report of which the major recommendation was to provide a specific body to look at instead of uh, the basically the, the NICE, the enterprise scheme that's there to support small business, set up a separate group aimed at multicultural communities. And it, an example of how the government gets it wrong is during COVID using Google Translate and just getting it wrong, the information that was going yeah. out to those communities. Labor, back to the reputations. You know, you said the Libs have a reputation for being the small business party. Labor does have a reputation for bowing to the kind of inner city rhetoric. That has happened with, um, you know, energy policy. One that comes to mind, and, and in fact, every time we go, you know, wherever some sort of ag show or ag event, well, they tell us to light you mob up about uh, one particular decision that has still got permeating effects in agriculture, which was the live export ban. How do you combat that within your own ranks? Because that was actually a, a fold and a concede to an issue that was, it was the classic, it was the greyhounds, the same thing. It was the four corners. It was orchestrated by the bloody ABC. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always broadcasting communism. Yeah. The Bolshevik channel. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Australian Bolshevik channel. How can you ensure regional Australians who might even vote for you? They're voting for the shooters and fishers. They're yeah, voting for Qatar. They might even vote for you. How do you tell them that you're not going to bow to some blue-haired campaign? Well, I think by just showing that that's the case. The live cattle, Ben, of course, was in a context whereby there, there were problems in the industry. But it's a matter of working with the industry to get appropriate changes. I mean, one of the things that we should be doing here great example whereby they don't actually help add to jobs is uh, how do we value add from resources here 
that would boost regional towns. Yeah, meatworks here are really struggling. Uh, we should be yeah. doing more. How do we export meat rather than just live you cattle? Do that by antagonising agriculture's biggest trading partner. <laughs> yeah, well, that that hasn't gone real well, has it? No, but who, no, but, you know, who knew if you went up to the? Uh, that's the policy of the government, it seems. You know, you, you've yeah, got all these people out there on the land now, you, you know, combating everything from drought to mouses, and you know, now they haven't got a buyer. Yeah, no. Well, it's pretty, they're they're doing it tough, and it's about recognising it. When when I was the water spokesperson, I was out and about in every regional town in Australia, talking with farmers and agricultural producers. It's a matter of sitting down with them, showing that we're interested in their jobs, their communities. One of the things that I think we have an incredible opportunity to do here in this country is to not just dig up resources, send them overseas, wait for someone else to manufacture them and then bring them back at much higher value. Mm -hmm. How do we, at every single opportunity, have a look at, okay, how can we value add? How can we add to jobs and manufacturing here? We should be the renewable energy superpower of the world. Now, people speak about, you know, renewables is in a city. Well, I'll tell you the best tour I've had with renewables as with a friend of uh, this station, my mate Bob Catter, mm-hmm. and we went out, uh, we were in a little plane, spending uh, eight hours on a little plane with Bob Catter is an yep. interesting experience, okay. let me tell you. A lot of people in let North Queensland have yeah. had to sit next to him in the exit row, don't worry he, about that. No, all... this was a very little <laughs> yeah. plane. The whole plane was an exit row. Yeah. There were only half a dozen on it. He was up there, up the front, looking for Hell's Gate. Damn, looking for yeah. the spot, trying to tell the pilot where it was. But in Hewenden, yeah. we had a look at Kidston, which is a project of an old mine that's been turned into a hydro project uh, with battery. Uh, we look at Big Kennedy and Little Kennedy wind farms. Galilee Basin, um, railroads. All it, was, of- it was just <laughs> terrific. And, yeah. and it's about jobs there that have been created and Bob Catter gets that, mm-hmm. and many people, if they sort of see it as being about the regions versus the city, then that's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. You've got to look at it. How do we, as a nation, advance? And included in that is how we maximise jobs in our regions outside of the big cities. I want more people to live around Batuta. Well, once yeah. upon a time, there was a Department of Decentralisation in, in Parliament House. They... Did a lot, and there's still you can still see you know the the mark they left on the country to this day. You look at the uh, Akubra factory and warehouses up there in Kempsey. You look at the Oak Milk up there in Raymond Terrace, even all the way up to Bundaberg Rum. You know the towns would have their own little industry. Have you been to the Bundy Rum factory? Yes, we have. Uh, yeah. It's a. They've, it, they've it, got it, a few spe- special drops that they only serve in there. Too. It's a tough yeah. world. You can get an Alboberg Rum. Oh, really? As well. <laughs> made, made, made by your, yourself truly. <laughs> They'll have the recipe there. You get to. I was up there and we. Um, it was pretty early in the morning, relatively, about 11 o'clock. And they get you to make your own rum with different portions. And they give you these little, basically, shot glasses full of. And you've got to have the tasting and yeah. do all that. No one told me you were supposed to spit it out. Oh, right. So it was 11 o'clock. 
I had to go in, speak to some sugarcane farmers I, after that. I, I was in trouble. <laughs> I was in trouble by 11.30, let me tell you. Lie down in the com car. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a pretty good trip. So just back to renewables, mate. You, <laughs> away from rum. You know a lot of things. You're privy to a lot of information that, you know, the layperson isn't privy to. Why is the government building a gas-powered power plant in the Hunter Valley? If well, people like AGL and Origin say... We'd rather do something else to maximise the returns for our shareholders. That's the big question, isn't it? Why? Because uh, of course they, uh, it's not their money. It's your listeners' money. It's yeah. taxpayers' money. If it added up, they would release the business case. Yeah. Simple as that. So nothing wrong with any new project as long as it stacks up. But if it stacked up, it would be happening. You wouldn't need taxpayers to do it. Do you think it would pass, you know, the sniff test from perhaps a federal ICAC? Well, there's some interesting land arrangements uh, have happened up there, and uh, I think uh, there'll be a bit more, a bit more to follow on that. Yeah. You could, you could follow that. Well, trail. you know, just just a little bit further up over the Great Dividing Range, you know, on that road to Mudgee, you know, we did see the downfall of a lot of New South Wales. We did indeed. Politicians, you know, so maybe there's something in that. Elba. And there's as, as a few people in uh, what's now the New South Wales Liberal government hit the fence in the previous term as well associated with donations yeah. and some of the names keep popping up. There's going to well, have to have a politician's wing out there in Kumar, the low security. <laughs> well, look, in the full scheme of things, you know, the whole gambit of what we've seen in the past 12 months, do you think that Barry O'Farrell was hard done by? Well, I think he. Uh, I think the problem was that he uh, he got pinged for not telling the truth. That that's yeah. what he got pinged for mm. with his uh, bottle of Grange. I tell you what, someone gives me a forty-year-old bottle of Grange, I'll remember it. Mm. Yeah, just saying, just saying. But, but there won't be know, much evidence of it within a couple of days. <laughs> It'll be gone. <laughs> Yeah. It'll be gone. Straight into the spag bowl. <laughs> Straight into the spag bowl. <laughs> yeah, clean the boat with it. Now, tell us, uh, back to that idea of decentralisation, those businesses that thrive in, in regional towns and to this day are still there. Nowadays, those businesses would be put in the back of Logan, put in the back of Western Sydney and driven through an entire city to get to an airport or a port. Uh, we've got ports in the Amber, we've got ports in Newcastle, we've got all kinds of... Uh, avenues to get produce out of Australia and onto boats. Why isn't this something? Everyone's talking decentralisation and COVID, but when they say that, they mean oh, everyone should move to Byron. They don't mean let's get jobs in, in small towns. They don't mean, you know, back in the day, it was it was almost free land to set up there. That's silly, isn't it? Mm. Byron has its role. Where else can you uh, have the fun that you can have in, in Byron spotting celebrities? But mm. You know, we need to grow jobs and manufacturing yeah. in, in our towns. Like we went to uh, on the road trip we did when, when we visited the Bundy Rum Factory. Just after after we were there, we ended up in Maryborough. Mm-hmm. You have a look there, down at EDI, building trains. Uh, the first thing they've had to do is to retrofit the trains that we bought from overseas that didn't fit. They're not fit for purpose. It's like the ferries in Sydney they bought that can't fit under yeah. the bridges along the and Parramatta the, um, River. Can't see out the cockpit. They, and the, they and the, uh, decapitate people who are sitting on the top deck. <laughs> and the trains too that were too big for the tunnels in the Blue Mountains. Too big and didn't fit the stations. Like yeah. Every time we've bought this stuff overseas, 
it's had to be retrofitted. And it's happening there. I was in Newcastle a couple of months ago. Uh, the big uh, freight trains there getting cut and rebuilt because they're the wrong size for the tracks there. Like, it's just nutty. We can produce things here. In Queensland, they're doing it. Yeah. And in Maryborough, the fellow who's uh, the local MP there, uh, he won on primaries this time round. It was held by the LNP. He won it off them just uh, a few elections ago. When we lost it, we got, I think, about, I think we got 16% of the vote. We were basically down the toilet. Uh, we ran third. And it shows that when Labor concentrates on jobs, on things that really matter to people, that sense of community, if you have a major manufacturing hub like trains there or the aluminium refinery in Gladstone, they want to run it with renewables. They want to build a big solar plant so they can expand it because it'll be cheaper than the way that they run at the moment. There's huge opportunities in the regions. The only thing this government did was uh, move a department to a McDonald's and the Northern Tablelands in Barnaby Joyce's seat. That's all they did. Well, it's all good and well to tell young people who can't afford, you know, say, to buy a house in Sydney, you know, just move out into the bush, like go and move out to Dubbo. And what do you do once you're in Dubbo if there's been no investment in infrastructure? Yeah, you've got to give them a job. They won't move. So what's Labor committed to in terms of investment in regional Australia? Oh, well, we did, uh, when I was uh, the minister, I was the minister for infrastructure, of course, we did major investment, be it freight rail, be it uh, the Pacific Highway, uh, where we put all the money in for the duplication. We finished duplicating the Hume Highway. Of course, in uh, good old Queensland, we put record funding into the Bruce Highway, into the Warrego Highway. Really made a difference. Infrastructure investment. That's a, the thing that's disappointing about last week's budget is you got $100 billion of new spending, you got a trillion dollars of debt, and nothing to show for it. No legacy, no big reform, you know, whatever our, our, our issues, and we weren't perfect. When we were in government, we did fibre-based national broadband network. A lot of it in the regions is where yeah. it started. We did paid parental leave. We did the apology. We set up Infrastructure Australia and rolled out a massive upgrade to our infrastructure in our cities and in our regions. Uh, We set up Regional Development Australia uh, to drive that economic growth. This mob just have nothing to show for it except debt. Indian-owned coal mines. And, you know, and and as you said, you're not an enemy of coal mining, but you prefer to be in our hands. You're campaigning up in Bowman there, up in in, in Brisbane, that old sex pest seat you've sent... Uh, you got a local Labor candidate. Hey, I can say that. It's not even alleged at this point. You're running, Labor's running pretty red hot there. Um, we are. What's her name? The uh, Arnie... Uh, Denisha. Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm asking you now, as the tide turns, we look at the WA result, state election, Queensland yeah. result. Yeah, it's pretty uh, confronting to see that uh, WA has adopted a very, you know, Chinese... One-party state. ...state of... Uh, McMahon. Of, of, yeah, <laughs> of government. Very concerning. To, now the- to be fair, there are two libs there. The libs have finally achieved 
50-50 male-female yeah, yeah, representation. Yeah. And she stood down for leadership state. too. So, in yeah. one state. And, and, and she still couldn't win. Yeah, still couldn't yeah. win leadership. Now, she's a deputy though. Yeah, she's a deputy. That's, that's the good news. <laughs> and he might be there for a while. That kind of result, that's a that's a landslide in the scheme of things. Where do you think you're going to pick up seats? I mean, I, I want to hear. I want to hear names of seats. Bowman, you might be. You might be a start. George Christensen has resigned or been punted. Who knows what the hell's going on there? Maybe the data's not very nice for the LNP. Where, where are you thinking? Do you think you can take back the Red North? Oh, absolutely. And uh, of course, there's Red Ted uh, was from there. Bob Catter's hero. But we reckon seats like Leichhardt, the very far north seat. Sorry, we, Warren. Lawrence Sorry, there. Warren. He's been there for a long time. A light Warren. of faith. You've got to have faith. Yeah. How can you How can you not vote for someone called a light of faith? Yeah. Seriously. And uh, Warren Ench said he was going to retire. Yeah. And then he said he wasn't going to retire. And he's already retired once and then come back. <laughs> like, if your heart's not in it, mate, just go do something else. Yeah. Go do something else. Yeah. Sitting on the back bench there. So you, you really reckon you've got the very tip? Oh, yeah, we can get there. Uh, and uh, in Dawson against uh, George Christensen's gone. Yep. And uh, maybe, you know, he can spend more time in Manila yep. again, you know. Didn't spend much Might time job in, his, with in his seat anyway. A similar sort of uh, commitment to democracy. Yep. So <laughs> we think uh, in uh, the seat around Gladstone, we're running the mayor there, Matt. Yeah. He got 73% of the vote when he ran... Last time, he is the mayor of Gladstone. He's a terrific bloke. He's been in the council 21 years. He's a real local. And, of course, in, in Bowman, the punters in Bowman, LNP members, blew the whistle on this bloke, said this bloke's a problem. I mean, what sort of person basically is a troll against their own constituents yeah. and then goes around taking photos and, and doing all sorts of stuff? And keep his job, and they're keeping him as chair of a committee, you know, so he can pick up 14k on top of his salary, and uh, we'll continue to raise that so, issue. He's a real weirdo. He, we're, we're trying to remain uh, bipartisan here, but we have to say, Lamming is one of the one of the real creeps in Parliament, who's, who's managed to be there quite a while now. He, he, he has indeed. He's been kept there by them, and the the good punters of Bowman, I don't think will will reward them for it. Yeah. Uh, we launched, announced our candidate there outside his uh, electorate office. Uh, just to be clear, there was a, a good demo there a couple of weeks ago. Penny Wong went up and spoke. Andrew Lamming sat across the road in a coffee shop, you know, taking notes. and <laughs> Taking photos. Uh, very, 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 very strange dude. Yeah. But he still sits in the government party room. Mm. Yeah. Like, what do you got to do? What have you got to do? So I think uh, they've got a problem there. And then, you know, in, right across the country in, in New South Wales, we think we're a show in the seat next to me at Reed and in Robertson on the Central Coast and About perhaps a couple of others. Over in Hughes, you reckon you got a chance? Well, Hughes it? could be very interesting because yeah. uh, Craig Kelly, who, of course, they didn't kick him out either. He, no. he, he had to go. Oh, That's he, how bad it yeah. is. He tried hard to get kicked out and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> so uh, he had to leave him so You know. He, he, he only moved to the cross bench so he didn't have to keep getting called into Morrison's office. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he doesn't yeah, have to go and vote anymore, I guess. He, so he, it's he, like ring, 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 ring. No, no, he still votes for them. <laughs> he? he still votes for them. 
that's the deal. I think uh, yeah. that that he's done. Um, but he he says he's going to run as an independent. So anything could happen there in a sort yeah. of three or four cornered contest. What about Porter's old seat over there? In that, that's a uh, marginal seat. Well, in well he's still he's still in the the cabinet, but yeah. he's yeah. Uh, he's the minister for being a Trappist monk. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. hasn't spoken. He can't do a no. media interview. Uh, well, he's sitting there collecting a cabinet minister's salary, and uh, not doing his not doing his job. And well, it is pretty hard in this country to hold power to account without the threat of a losing your job or b getting sued. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he's uh, he's made the the courageous decision to take legal action, which means that all the things that he said he wanted to avoid in terms of having an inquiry, guess what? They're all de facto inquiry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's in a marginal seat technically over there and he's in a, in a state that's obviously been painted red. Yeah, I don't think he'll be running. That's no. my prediction. Yeah. Heard it here first, exclusive. You reckon he'll get a job at the IPA or something like that? Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll get, get back something. to the bar, mate. He'll yeah. be fine. Back to the he'll bar. He'll get something. <laughs> he'll get something, yeah. Yeah, he can talk about the law. Well, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's, he's well versed in it nowadays. Uh We'll finish up now with one question, uh, speaking of regional Queensland. This family from Biloela, how many years now is it on Christmas Island? It was two years on Christmas Island, it'll be four or five years. Yeah. hundred or so million dollars. Since the dawn raids, it almost sounds like, it's you know. It's just a disgrace. 1960s New Zealand, yeah. they pulled them out of bed. 5 a.m. in the morning. Because, mm-hmm. you know, little kids, two little kids, their little daughters uh, weren't a threat to anybody. And uh, Priya, uh, the mum, I've been to Billo. I talked to the community there. Um, That's not a media myth either. That's not a media myth that they they want that family home. Oh, absolutely. I I sat down there uh, with uh, members of the local council and members of the local community. They want them there. Uh, Nada's the the father, uh, worked at local meatworks. They can't get people to work in the local meatworks. Yeah. They're getting people in on temporary visas. These people are part of the bloody community. Mm. The mum volunteered for local charities and and helped out and was really a part of the local community. The two little girls were born there. They want to live in regional Queensland, for goodness sake. We are spending tens of millions of dollars to lock up these people and, frankly, they're exactly the sort of migrants that we want here. Mm. People who are working hard, they're part of the community, they're committed to Australia, their daughters. It's just outrageous that the government is, is prepared to use human beings for political purposes. I, I just think it's a disgrace. Well, earlier this week, you know, the government and Labor, they ushered through those changes to uh, the Migration Act that made it legal really for the government after they turned down an asylum claim to basically tell people to go or hold them indefinitely. Yeah, that was something very specific though. There's been a lot of misreporting about that. To be clear, and people should have a look at Christina Keneally's speech there, that's about people uh, who might be uh, considered to be a threat to safety or what have you, and the court found basically that they would have to be released. Right. Now, if you think back, um, of course, the Christchurch massacre was an Australian. People, you know, not everyone 
in society wants to do the right thing. In the country they arrive in. And Exactly. And there, there are some people who you don't want just wandering around the community. Yeah. And, and if, if someone like that was let out and there was an incident, it would completely undermine support that's out there in the broader community from your listeners in Batuta or wherever people are listening throughout this great country to this program. It would completely undermine our immigration and our refugee system if we did that. So they were the facts of, of what happened. This isn't about, you know... Uh, An abattoir worker from no, it's not about, North Queensland. It's not about that at all. This is a specific national security issue arising from a particular case and something that needed to be fixed because either that or they would have to be refouled. Yep. That is, sent back to their country of, if they're from Iran or somewhere that they'd been persecuted, sent back there, and that was the other option. So what this will enable is for them to be detained until such time as a third country of settlement can be found for them. But, you know, it's a difficult issue, but it's a real-world one and uh, one that has been misreported substantially about what it is. So I'm glad that Batuta we've been able to not that one else. able set to set the straight. record straight. And hopefully those people at The Guardian are buddy listening. Yeah, right. that's right. Last question. What are your thoughts on the NRL's new rules banning high shots? Uh, I think it's a good thing, but some of it can be taken a bit too far, I think. Uh, I think Jaden Sewer taking out a shark. Yeah. You know, it was a bit of a love tap, really. Yep. And did Latrell Mitchell deserve four weeks? Come on. It was, he deserved something. Well, I've got one more on this. He is... deserves something, but not four weeks, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, he has vested you know. interests in that, uh, in that I judiciary. I do. I've got one Latrell more. listens to this show. Mm. I'm, I'm backing you, Latrell. <laughs> one more. Do you think that Souths did Adam Reynolds dirty? Well, see, Souths have a salary cap. They're not like the roosters who have a salary sombrero. Yep. Right? So we can't cheat. No. Salary's beach umbrella. It it just shows. Going to play games of skins at the Oz with Uncle Nick, you know. We wanted to keep. We wanted to keep Adam and, uh, you know, Adam wanted to stay. Yeah. But that's what you got to do. You've got to bring... People through. It so. hurts though. He grew up on Pitt Street. He's it, a Redfern boy. He's it, probably got a rabbit tattooed on it, him somewhere. It, it hurts big Several. time. Well, you wouldn't know. <laughs> I got. I got to say, I. Uh, I had a chat with Adam on Saturday night, and uh, said I was sorry to see him go, and thanked him. He's he's been great for the mighty Cardinal and Myrtle, mm-hmm. uh, but I wish him well in Brisbane. Brisbane, I saw yep. them play. Great, great opportunity for him to play some great footy. Yeah, well, well, he'll be up there with Wayne next year, so hopefully. Well, we, yeah. Uh... Well, there's no doubt he'll be the best player the Broncos have got because <laughs> yeah. uh, they were crap Friday night. Let's face mm. it, there mm. they were in front of their their home crowd. <laughs> no, I was there with uh, with your premier mm-hmm. Palaszczuk, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, no, she was a bit, she was a bit sad. She'd be hurting. Yeah, everyone up there is. That's why rugby union's starting to lift in Queensland because the Broncos <laughs> yeah. are doing so shit. And yeah. pigs are flying, mate. So there you go, <laughs> Mr. Albanese. Thank you for your time. 
Good to be with you as always. Yeah, it was a great yarn. And um, let's see how you go uh, when the Prime Minister calls the election in July 2025, I reckon he'll finally call it. Oh, mate, I reckon we're going in in, uh, October, November. What's your predictions on that? March 3. March 3. 2022. All right. You heard I'll, it here uh, first. So all Next the fossil year. fuel uh, lobbyists out there, get your get your kitties ready, because it's go time. Yep. <laughs>